Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of friends explore movies through trivia. I'm one of these friends, KJ, and with me is... Tom. And I'm Chris. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four rapid-fire trivia questions, and possibly a few bonus questions. Audience, feel free to play along from home. The first question is worth one point, and each question after that is worth one more point. Then we'll follow it up with our famous movie rant, where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 2015, we would have had to choose between The Land Before Time, Part 14, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Hail Caesar, Zoolander 2, Deadpool, Zootopia, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, and today's movie, the witch chris will be our questionnaire today chris what is the witch all about so a family in 1630s america has been banished from the relative safety of their new england town and they're currently forced to live at the edge of a dark forest everything starts out peacefully and blissful as they enter the spring but as time progresses through the seasons things start to turn dark the darkest being when their youngest child goes missing due to a possible kidnapping by a witch. This leads the family into a continuing spiral of madness as the seasons go into the winter and possibly early spring. And then eventually the family continues to be haunted by this witch. It's time for question one. The father tells the young son that he traded the mother's silver cup away. What was it he, that he traded the silver cup for? Locked in. I think I have this right, though. It was one of the instances where the accent interrupted the the cognition of what he was trying to communicate. But I think I deciphered it. Locked in with a guess, but if my answer I thought was a part of like a trade chain that he did, but I'm I'm gonna lock in. All right, KG, what do you think? Pelts? Tom? I thought it was the animal traps. I too believe it was the animal traps, so we're going to give Tom the point for that one, because they, they secretly go into the woods to check the animal trap, which was empty at the time, and that's when he tells his son that it was the silver cup that he traded away in order to procure it. So Tom's up by one point. And that would make sense, because I'm pretty sure he said, I traded the, the cup, and we and we got this, and we got this, and, and that's how we got the pelts. But, like, I, you know, I thought that was, I guess the pelts came from trapping the animals, right? That might have been the uh, the chain I was talking about. So we traded it for mm-hmm. the traps, used the traps to get the, pelts. get the pelts. It's time for question two. I'm looking for two different answers, so you can get you can get partial credit if you wish. The teacher in me is telling me this. So there's a couple of interesting things about the title sequence. Number one is that the movie had a subtitle. So I'm looking for A, what was the subtitle of the film? And number two, what is interesting about the actual title of the film as it's presented on the screen itself when you see it? Locked in? I know the answer to one of these. One of these I'm head scratching. Yeah, I I know the answer to one, and I think I got a pretty good joke for the other. I, I so. guess I guess I'll I'll rephrase the question a little bit. There was an interesting spelling of the title. Which I, yeah, I guess that's is what I'm the one for. we got. <laughs> okay, <laughs> locked in. All right, KJ, you. What do you? What do you have? <laughs> um, he didn't use a W to spell Vavitch. He's 
he did it with two V's. Um, as for the subtitle, maybe the season of, comma. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Todd? What do you got? I actually did not get the the spelling one. I got the subtitle, which was a New England folktale. Ah, so it's a team, Tom. All right. So we're going to give one point to Tom, one point to KJ, because you are both correct. And I actually did a little research on this when they apparently didn't use W's when this movie would have been periodly a period accurate. So that's why they changed it to two V's to make it look like a W. So I, didn't I know read that. that too. But does that mean the was sound they wrote? No. Them, they, right? It's, so then it's like, what are you talking system. about, director? <laughs> yes. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind of movable type thing. It's also like where F, F's and S's look the same. Um, put a little dash in the F. Yeah, because you're just, you know, you you have limited amounts of keys right that you can ink so and audience uh some inside information we have a text thread that nick's on too actually that's probably why he wins because he's on all of our text threads um but tom in that i had said you were bivivitched <laughs> so I, that, that was another opportunity was like, to see that oh i got you yeah <laughs> i've read so much of this stuff in my life that i like I've, i don't see it anymore, <laughs> but it's time for question three Right before Caleb, who is the youngest, uh, not the youngest, he is the oldest of the male children. Right before Caleb succumbs to an illness, a mysterious illness that he catches in the woods, what can you see him coughing up at right before he has his, his death scene? Locked in. Locked in with a guess. I remember kind of what it looked like, but I, I didn't know it was identifiable. All right, KJ, what, what guess do you have for this unidentifiable object? A bloody, bloody bloody silver chalice tom what about you i thought it was an apple ah it was an apple it was um, an gets apple. the three points so that way it was an apple because if you remember he had told his mother a lie that him and his father went to the woods to look for apples or went to the went to the plane to see if there were apples and that was kind of another other part of his of his lie here was there any religious stuff there tom was that the forbidden fruit or something? I well, I mean the the obviously the forbidden fruit stuff from Adam and Eve, but I in terms of like actually connecting the dots, right? Connecting the dots, I'm not, not the sure. I, I mean there's there's elements of sin that they seem to be punished for, but that there's also look... inconsistencies okay. with that okay. too. Like I'm not entirely sure where the baby is punished for example if if we think of the baby as being punished mm, yep yep right unless it's, he's not baptized um but that might that might be it but there you go and was caleb baptized yes i think he, he was, was okay because he would be old enough but that's he, why he would that's why he was so worried about his brother going missing because uh, he realized that he had been baptized but the brother had not been it's time for question four this question has four parts, so one point for each of the parts. Uh, towards the end of the film, Tamison, who is our main character here, she's uh, played by Anna Tara Joy. Uh, she actually talks to Black Philip, which was the the family's black goat. Uh, the the Black Philip offers Tamison four things in order for her to after she signs the book, as it's said in the film. What are those four things that are offered to Tamison? Locked in. Locked in again, I guess. <laughs> <Throw them. laughs> For those of you at home, Tom was counting on his fingers how many he had in his head. <laughs> yeah. 
locked in, but I, I don't remember. All right, KJ, which ones do you remember? What were the four things that Black Phillip promised Tamison as she was getting ready to sign her sign the book? The one that stood out was butter. And then on this one, I'm not, this isn't one of my four, but he also offered to help her sign because she's like, I don't know how to sign. And he's like, don't worry, I'm a goat. All right, here we go. So butter, warmth, freedom, and the American way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, which ones do you have? Oh, God, I can't top that. Um, it was butter or like butter in her mouth. Something like it was phrased in a weird way. It was a pretty dresses. My favorite, live deliciously. And then to see the world. All right. So KJ, you got one. She He does offer her the taste of butter. But yes, he also offers her pretty dresses. My favorite as well. And the reason I made this question was that if you would like to live deliciously. And then finally, after after the whole I can't sign the book, he offers her to see the world. So with a resounding win, Nick yeah. once again <laughs> takes it down like very, very marginally over Tom, who then follows up with KJ in third. Hey, Tom, you swept. Perfect. Almost. Score. I didn't I didn't know the W, the double D. Oh, one point for that. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Almost. All right. So I have one bonus question if you guys are into it. Yeah. Sure. I'd like I, to actually have, I actually have two bonus questions, but I'm gonna Let's say go it's really it. just one. The one other question I have is that about halfway through the film, uh the mother has a has a breakdown and she has a dream sequence. And in the dream sequence, Caleb, who had just recently died, as well as baby Samuel is there. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing that we see in the background of the shot that also tells us that it's a dream. And I was just curious if you guys had seen it. It's a little bit, it's a little bit ambiguous. Oh, That's why I made, didn't gonna, make it a I'm gonna lock in, I think. This is sort of a guess. What do you think, Thomas? Window? Is it's not a... the window. Oh. It was actually one of the, it was part of the previous questions. Well, there was the crow. Oh, it was the silver chalice there. The silver chalice was sitting on the, on the, on the, on the bedside table as she gets out of bed before she even sees the two children, the the silver chalice is kind of sitting there next to the, you can see it kind of glistening in the fire in the background. I thought that was an interesting one. My other question is kind of like the lead into our conversation. If you, if, if you want to go for it. Perfect. So uh, my second bonus question is, is this movie literal? Or is this movie figurative? Whoa. I, I think it is literal and hence my my kind of problem with it. Because yeah, there's <laughs> two there's two interpretations of this movie, right? There's the the witch is real and the witch is stealing the kids and killing the kids and and, and sucking their essence and Black Phillip is a legitimately you know some aspect or, or demon or or maybe even Satan. And then there's also the figurative. And they make some plays that like why it could be all in their heads or kind of a psychosis going through the thing. And the whole witch part is just how they explain it to themselves as a family. And I was curious what your guys take on that was. Do you think there would literally was a witch or do you think this was all in their head due to uh, poisoning and due to just like grief? And audience, if you want to find out, stay tuned after the break for our Is This a Movie Rant? Movie Rant coming up right after this break. Join another Talking Studios production, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games. Text-based adventure games were computer games from before computers had graphics. The game uses text to describe a scene, and the player types back how they want to interact with the game. I'll read the text from the computer, and my co-host will feed me commands. This season, we're playing through The Hobbit from 1982 
on the ZX Spectrum. Here's a quick sample. I thought uh, a lot about our first command, and I think it should be no print because we don't want to print things as we're going along. I think by default, it's not going to print. And even <laughs> if I did print, I, where is it going to print to? 1982? I, I would imagine if we go west, we're going to be south of the troll, right? Just south of the troll land. Yeah, let's try it. You go west. The troll's clearing. The visible... Oh, we died. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The troll, the troll saw us and killed us. So I think we have to see the answer to the riddle then. The answer is dark. Say dark, I think. Talk to what? Golem. Gollum. Say Gollum dark. You talk to Gollum. Thorin says, hurry up. And we died. And we died. So we went northeast last time. So let's go southwest. You go southwest. Visible exits are north, northwest. You see the valuable golden ring. Oh, we're wow. ending it here. That's wait, wait. perfect. Oh, That's wow. perfect. Limited lexicon coming to your podcatcher and YouTube in late 2022 by Talking Studios. So what do you guys think? Was there actually a witch in the woods stealing babies and causing torment? Or was this all part of a, a shared family madness and psychosis? What do you think, Tom? Well, I, I think it's, there's literally a witch because when we're introduced to the witch, we, we see her from a third-person omniscient perspective. We're not seeing her from the perspective of a family member. So we see the witch with the baby. Then we see that the baby has been killed and the witch is covering herself in blood and her broom handle in blood. That's true, and Tom. It would be hard to argue that was the baby's perspective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the movie, I think, and I think what makes the movie kind of powerful, um, it also makes it inconsistent, but it makes it powerful and creepy, is that in the first 15 minutes, not only do we have a witch who is killing babies, I mean, is extremely dangerous, but the her ability or their ability as we later find out to manipulate reality is going to be beyond what we can understand the evidence of that being how quickly the baby disappears and so i think within those two scenes her playing peekaboo with the baby and the baby disappears immediately and the fact that we get a third person perspective of what the witch does with the baby tells us that there's an actual witch there what about you kj what's your take I, you know i I had read online afterwards that that was kind of, you know, you're supposed to have one, you fall on one side or the other. But while I was watching it, I I wasn't thinking about was there a witch or wasn't there a witch or was this, you know, from this perspective. It really felt more like a screensaver. Like I was just sitting with the movie, like I had mentioned last week, and having it wash over me. So I I, I think if we wanted to get technical, I, I guess I agree with Tom because, um, like, the camera thinks there's a witch, so to say. There wasn't a POV there. And then I was going to say the last scene also heavily suggests that there was and are witches, but that could have been from the Queen Gambit's perspective. So I, I don't know where I fall. How about you, Chris? So I've, I've, I'm always, I'm a huge fan of like scientific history. And I'm also a huge fan of American history and the idea of like what caused the Salem witch trials and all these other things. I'm not sure if either of you have heard of this, but there is documented scientific data that shows that a lot of a lot of these uh, the hysteria that went along with the Salem witch trials was caused due to basically an alkaline poisoning from a fungus 
that invaded their crops. So based on uh, historical journals and diaries read from people of the time and uh, the, the limited ca- collection of weather data and how long it rained and what temperatures it was, scientists have kind of concluded that this was the perfect storm of situations for this ergot fungus to grow in wheat. And people in a starving society would have eaten the bad grains and turned it into breads and would have gotten this kind of like hallucinogenic poisoning over the course of the winter months. And that would have caused them to see things and hear things and perhaps act weird. And in a with a limited uh, knowledge of how that was going on and what was going on in their bodies, they would start to believe it was witchcraft. And they do a really good job in this movie of kind of pointing out throughout the film that, you know, they walk upon this plane and it's nice, lush and green. And then throughout the film, they're shucking corn that's half rotted on on the stalks. They're, they're having a hard time. Now, I, th- I think I think shooting the witch for the POV or, or not for the POV through the camera is because if you title a movie The Witch and don't do that or don't show a witch, people are going to have an issue with it. But at the same time, I kind of took out of it. It's like this is this is not a witch tormenting a family. This is a family that's stressed out. They're on the edge of nowhere. Nobody wants to be there other than the dad because the dad is the only one that's got the, you know, the problem with the town. And they're all hopped up on this like hallucinogenic alkaline that's in their food. And they're being told that things are happening. Like Tamison is told you're the witch very early on by the twins. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm not the witch. I'm not the witch. Like she's obviously not the witch. But then towards the end of the film, spoilers, she floats like she's a witch now is that in her head is that something that she's imagining does she imagine those people dancing around the the the, the fire or does she imagine black philip talking to her i that's that's where i don't know i don't know i i don't want to think that black philip is a real talking goat i guess that's <laughs> i guess that's my take in the film but I, that's just that's what i that's what i liked about it in my second viewing because i had had that idea when i originally saw it and this second viewing through i was able to kind of like pick out some more of the details about it the only thing and tom you're absolutely right is where did the little baby go and they never really there's never a plausible explanation for where the baby went that wasn't just something else this ends up being what my my problem is this idea of the hysterical diagnosing or looking at the hysterical right which is why i think they're so intent on or the director is so intent on titling this a folktale. He titles it twice a folktale. In the beginning, he calls it a New England folktale. And in the end, there's a screen that says, this is based upon folktales and fairy tales drawn from the period actual documented journals and court trial evidence about it. And so there seems to be this idea of, first of all, it's not a folktale in any way. There seems to be this idea of a folktale that is somehow supposed to tell us how people back then thought about the world in this sort of pseudo or extremely hysterical way that ends up culminating several decades later in the Salem Witch Trials. Again, the problem though I have with this is the director also seems pretty intent very early on in the movie telling us there's a witch. Um, It's only later that we get the kind of rotted corn and the only explanation we're given for many of the activities, the missing baby, even the dead children in the in the stable when the children are killed, is that the witch killed them. You know, that the thing we saw kill them actually killed them. There's really no no alternative. And 
I thought that was what made a movie effective, actually, is the fact that right from the beginning, it's out there and it's coming for them um, for whatever reason. The fact that they call it a folktale makes it confusing because it's not a folktale. A folktale is sort of... Usually a, there's a lesson in a folktale, right? right the... Not necessarily a lesson. That would be more of a parable. And a folktale can be a parable, but they're, they're not necessarily one and the same. Um, I thought it probably worked better as a parable, but a folktale is a sort of um, repeatable structure that involves certain common elements. So you could think of like the hero's journey or something like that is an element of a folktale that's repeated. There's no real character archetypes here. There's no princess. There's no hero. There's no pusher who, who pushes the hero out into the world. Um, what we actually have here are, I think, fairly well-rounded characters. I think the father is, I, I thought was going to be like a stand-in for patriarchy or, or, or the problems of religion. I thought he was a pretty interesting and pretty well-rounded character, especially since he seems to really care for his family. He listens to them. He's the person who listens to his daughter, Thomasina, when she says... I'm not a witch, right? He does. He listens, he? but then flips the script and is like, no, 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 you are a witch. And then she's like, oh, crap, let me blame somebody else. Yeah. Th does he eventually come down that she's a witch? I thought he, he, I thought he went, no, she's not. He, he does. So, like, after the, after the Caleb thing, when Caleb dies in the attic and the two kids can't say the prayer, which apparently is in documentation that, that is something that witches, quote, unquote, mm -hmm. uh, weren't able to do. They weren't able to say a prayer. Like, so when the two kids start convulsing and can't say their prayer, they're also showing witchiness themselves. Uh, then like, he takes Tam uh, Thomason outside and it's basically like saying, tell me you're not a witch because you saw what just happened up there. Only a witch would do that kind of thing. So he does kind of accuse her of being mm -hmm. a witch. But, uh, bef uh, but before that, he does defend her. So he mm -hmm. does have this moment of kind of like flipping on her a little bit. Well, because uh, he knows he took the chalice, and there was a few other things that yeah. he did that... There's a few things he did that were crappy. I think taking the chalice, but then he later says, I'm sorry, that was... Which I found more well-rounded. Like, he is a guy who, who succumbs to temptation, but he's also trying to make right. He's not... You know what I mean? Like, I, I thought he was going to be just the villain, and he turns out he was a weak man. That's what I think is his problem. He's a weak man. He's not a bad man. He's kind of he. I guess you could call him the villain in this because it's his like hubris and and desire like desire to not back down from the other townsfolk that caused them to be in this mm -hmm. situation, right? Like he, it's his impetus. Like you in that in that very first in the the very first scene of the movie, there's a trial. This is before Samuel's even born, by the way. Samuel's not on the the trip out there. Mm -hmm. There's a trial where they're basically saying, are, are you sure you don't want to like the, the people of the town are, are not begging him to, but they're saying, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Because we will banish you if we have to, but we don't really want to like and it's his pride and and hubris that kind of caused them to be to be banished to where they are. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think he's at fault for a lot of things. And. Well, I won't agree that he's a villain. I think he's at fault for things. And I think that we are supposed to not have a lot of respect for him for going out into the woods, especially since we don't know what it was that gets him banished. It seems to be a not a um, not like a sin or something like that, but a religious disagreement, a sort of dogmatic disagreement that results in this banishment. Yeah, it seems like he's almost too too religious for the Puritans. Which, if you can believe that statement, is it seems that that's what it might actually be. 
Yeah, it's a kind of Roger Williams thing. But um yeah, but I, I still I don't know he's the villain because I think we have a villain. It's the the baby killing witch. <laughs> you know, the, the woman who murdered the baby and covered her naked body in the baby's blood. You know, that, that seems to be like the distinct villain. And he's just no match for it. And I think when Thomasina, Thomasina, right? Um I think it's Thomason. Thomason, excuse me. Uh Tom when Thomason is like you're just a she calls him out for this she says you know a lot of these problems are your kind of weaknesses and maybe part of that is hubris that he's his religious dogma is correct and the townsfolk aren't um but even there once things get bad he's like we're going back to the town i'm sorry about this so i ended up finding him to be a far more kind of balanced and interesting character because of his weaknesses and because of his his um, he's wrestling with those weaknesses. He doesn't seem to purely have succumbed to them. He makes a problem. He tries to correct it. So I, I found him a lot more interesting. And I couldn't identify then the parable if there is one. It seems as if, with the exception of the murder of Samuel, what ends up happening to the family corresponds to a sin. They lie about the apples. The kid dies with an apple in his mouth, right? The... Um, you know, the chalice goes missing and, you know, bad things happen about that. She lies about Black Philip whispering to the kids and then Black Philip becomes the devil or, or a demon or something like that. So it seems to be that every kind of, every kind of lie or mistruth or misdirection ends up becoming real. It becomes real after the sin or the lie has been stated and that ends up being what what harms them again the exception is samuel unless samuel or the death of samuel has something to do with his pride and, and not willing to back down to the town but i don't know i i found even the parable to be i, I had to work to find the parable what do you think the purpose of the twins was because we we see the twins very infrequently when we do see them they're kind of you know they're talking about Black Philip early, and then they disappear. Well, I guess we're we're meant to assume that they are deceased, but we never see them. We never see them die. This movie is not afraid of showing grisliness in any form. Like you've mentioned multiple times, this 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 podcast about you know the witch and the baby's blood and stuff like that. Like they're not afraid to show that. So where did they go? Like why why not show that? Because it's a, it's a very tight one hundred. That's what the what is it? An hour and thirty six minutes. There were they weren't strapped for time. It wasn't that they had to cut it down. Like where where did those kids go? Why were they there? Why are they so attached to Black Philip? What are your take on them? They were almost like a Greek chorus, weren't they? Kind of just chanting whatever was going on. The goats out. The goats out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Greek chorus sort of tells the audience. The Greek chorus in in Greek plays is a stand-in for the crowd, for the audience. So they tell the audience what's going on, as you're saying, but they're also sort of the the ethos of the city. I don't think the kids are exactly that. Right? Mm, that's true. Um, it's maybe just the chorus, not the Greek Maybe just the, just the chirping <laughs> part. I, I guess. I mean, the thing with Black Phillip is they just seem like children playing with their goat. And then when the main character thomason makes the accusation that they're actually whispering to the devil it seems the accusation manifests in the truth of them talking to the devil and suddenly they become like possessed 
possessed spirits. It's almost as if her sin in sinning, in lying, she her punishment is that the sin becomes real, the lie becomes real. And that's what I got out of them. Other than, you know, they're kind of weird and kind of creepy and goats are, are super creepy because of the way their pupils are shaped. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I got out of the twins. Now, why we don't see their bodies, I think that is a delicacy on the part of the director that I appreciated. We don't see the baby's body either. We see the blood and there's a lot of it. I don't think we see the grisliness, right? Or am I wrong? No, yeah, well, you're, you're right. We don't ever see, thankfully, we don't ever see an actual baby's mm -hmm. body. But at the, at the same time, it's like it, they, he, they, they, weren't, they weren't beating around the bush telling you what was in that that concoction that she was creating so i mm -hmm. that was it was just i didn't know if they were supposed to be more or, or what it was and i just wanted to get your take on it honestly yeah i don't think they're and this is why i, I kind of have a, a larger problem with this idea of titling it a folktale i don't think they're narrative elements i don't think they're archetypal character elements i think they're just a family i think they're people and they don't embody these kind of archetypes at all and i don't think the narrative is structured in any way that is recognizable as a folktale or a fairy tale i think possibly the idea of it being a parable of of you know you lie and the lie manifests but it seems like what the director is leaning towards is more of a hysteria thing a salem's witch trial as you were saying chris like this is once you get his once you get worried or hysterical about something you turn on the people you love um, the problem I have with that is, uh, again, and I've said this a few times, I think it's very clear that the threat is real. And so when they're like, oh, no, the the goat is whispering to the kids, I, I tend to believe that the goat is whispering to the kids and it's the devil <laughs> because, you know, we <laughs> see the goat as the devil and it's killed, the you know, it kills the father, it kills the children. And so my problem with it ends up being, yes, this family kind of turns on each other not not terribly but a little bit especially the mother really but the thing they're scared of is real there is something that's malicious and out to hurt them directly and so i'm not entirely sure how i'm supposed to understand this as a critique or in an examination of hysteria when you know when the, the source of your paranoia turns out to be legitimate maybe maybe it's just meant to be live with this family for a while and see what happens to them Whalem, salem witch trials slice of life <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey have you guys what... ever Go seen the movie it. haxon from 1922 it's nope, uh can't say that i have so it's a silent film but it's it's a it's presented as a documentary about witches so it starts in the medieval times and kind of moves through time. Um, and I thought it was really good. It had a very similar vibe to this movie where because it's presented as a documentary and because it's such an old movie, you start wondering, like, maybe they did know things back in the 1920s because they were closer to it than we know now. And so I'd, if you guys ever, uh, if you liked The Witch, I'd highly recommend checking out Haxon from 19... Haxon? Like, um, how is that spelled? I think it's H-A-X-A-N. Might be some umlauds in there. Oh, I see. There is an umlaut over the area. So, Chris, what did um, what did your wife think of the film? Which... Oh man, she hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's she just she didn't she didn't dig it. I I think it's it's 
I, I, I completely understand her point of view of it because it's definitely not a film for everybody. Just like I think like silent films, not for everybody or, you know, foreign films, not for everybody. And by the way, Marvel films are not for everybody. Star Wars is not for everybody. So like there are definite, you know, things like there are there are avenues that like that people are in their wheelhouse. Some people's avenues are maybe a little bit wider. Uh, and and this was just not not her type of film. Like she's not a super heavy drama fan. So yeah, she was she really she wasn't a fan. But it being being that we're in the Halloween just past the Halloween season, where she was into watching a spooky movie, and it was spooky. I, I what do you think about the sounding? Like what do you think about the the music and the lack of music for a lot of it? Had that kind of added to the spookiness for me? Did you guys have the same idea? The same thought? I the it's my problem with the music was it was trying to tell me how to feel and not subtly and not behind anything there was a lot of silent but then at least three times the music's building up building up building up when somebody's either walking through the the field or headed to the barn I the music I thought was distracting even in its silence I'm like I know you're trying to get me to feel a certain way so it didn't quite click with me yeah I kind of agree with that i mean it's it's interesting the the music was done by mark corvin who went with a kind of minimalist dissonance uh if you've ever heard of the music of john cage it sounds very familiar to that but he used the mortal Kombat guy no john that's that's johnny, johnny cage oh, oh, okay. oh right that is a mortal Kombat guy no, I'm thinking of the 19th, like the composer from the, the night. Did I get his name wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know who John Cage is. I mean, um, we all do. Because <laughs> he's got like, a mean uppercut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, John Cage. I, I, yeah. Anyway, um, so if you know the if you know the music of Street Fighter competitor Johnny Cage, you, <laughs> it'll be very. It'll, <laughs> <laughs> If you know uh, the music Cage. of Street Fighter Baraka, <laughs> yeah. this has gone off. <laughs> that was about Johnny Cage. I'm sorry, Tom. No, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, the, the music of Mortal Kombat competitor Johnny Cage. Um, yeah, but he apparently used like nickel harps, water phones, which are. Um, I used to date somebody who played the nickel harp. Actually, it's it's like a, it's a interesting instrument it's an untraditional instrument they get these kind of sounds but i agree with you kj like the despite the lack of conventional musical structure it was very much like feel this feel that it was very directed um yeah and the 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 i guess the minimalism was nice i suppose i i actually the first time i watched this my memory of it was that there was no music at all oh wow well, I was actually a little put off by the fact that the second time through, I watched it, and there, I, there was music in different parts. So I, I think I, I think I liked my memory better that it was just kind of like blank, a blank slate, no music whatsoever, no score whatsoever. But I don't know. I, I do, I do, I liked when it was quiet. So I, I didn't have the same dislike that KJ maybe you had, but at the same time, I liked it better when it was quiet and the music wasn't there because it felt more important i guess that makes sense and i wasn't being told what to think which now that you bring that up is 100 100 true well audience i'd like to once again congratulate somebody 
But was he ever on the show, or did we all make that up in our heads? Congratulations, Nick, for once again winning this episode. Well done. I did have some moldy bread before this the taping. Maybe he's not here. Maybe he is here. Mm. That's he's how he's here. winning. Oh. He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it is literal. Okay. So it's, it's literal. It's <laughs> a literal show. He's not here. This is literally happening. <laughs> There's so many third person perspectives proving that he's not here. Uh, audience, if you want to see the Zoom, we're not sharing it. So you'll yeah. always wonder. <laughs> you'll always, you'll never know. Just like Chris. Yeah. Never know. Well, always in the dark. Always in the dark. We don't know if it's literal or not. You can rate and review this show anywhere podcasts are available. For those viewing in YouTube land, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the Talking Studios channel for all our exciting content, and follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Check out other shows by Talking Studios, including Keep Making Movies, where we explore micro-budget films, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games, and Get the Point, where we slowly reveal a movie poster and try to guess which movie poster it is. Got a question for us? Call the Talking Studios hotline at 201-467-8679 and leave a message. It may be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, Please subscribe to Talking Pictures Trivia wherever fine podcasts are found. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing High and Low from 1963. Nick, how was your watch? It was great. Oh, you want, you want more than that? Okay. No. AJ, <laughs> how was your watch? <laughs> so this was what I watched recently. I believe even before we realized it was going to be the topic of this episode. KJ knows I like to watch movies and I have trouble finding time to watch them, but I have been doing it more and more lately where I can. And he said, you know what? Put high and low on your list. So I immediately watched it and it was very good and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will save most of my thoughts for next week when we talk about it in greater detail, but I really like it for many elements and particularly the main character, the actor who portrays the main character. I like him in a lot of uh, Kurosawa's films. KJ, what were your thoughts? So this movie, High and Low, had been on my list for a while. Um, mostly, the, you know, Kurosawa does a lot of the samurai films, right? That's an understatement. So I'd mostly seen the samurai films. This is the first one I'd seen that wasn't a samurai film. And audience, it is amazing. I'm pretty sure it's close to a perfect movie and that's pretty high praise but i i really think it was great um if you haven't seen it audience i implore you to go watch it it is filmmaking at its finest every frame is perfectly placed the camera movement where the actors are standing uh, the plot the story the tension the 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 contrast I i don't i don't even know how to gush about this movie accurately it is wonderful what did you think tom Oh, I agree. I saw this movie years and years ago, and I haven't revisited it in, in I think, maybe 10 years. And I, the audience probably doesn't know this, I trained to be a stage director and did it for a little while. 
um, a very short period in my life. But as a stage director, you are obsessed with the blocking of the actors. That's the position of the actors and the movement of the actors in space. And then when they're framed is when they're at a, a still point and what that composition looks like when they're at that still point. And so whenever you're directing something, a lot of what you're doing is stage business, moving people around, justifying the movements, finding a realistic reason why somebody would move from A to B, not just because it looks good, but there also has to be like a, a reason this human being would do this. And I think the blocking with the camera movement in this movie is probably the best I've seen in a film. I've never seen anybody who is uh, anybody coordinate a scene with actors moving from one composition to another composition as the cameras and Kurosawa typically uses two cameras at a time in these in these shots as the cameras are moving as well he is relying more upon this kind of picturesque movement from image to image than he is in cutting i think even though his editing is also supreme and consequently it's it looks like a dance the entire movie looks like a dance especially the first half and this continues on the framing in the second half is brilliant also but um yeah i would say that especially especially in the first half the way you watch those actors in the police investigator and gondo the main character in that house and how they're moving around as the phone is ringing is it's supreme it's wonderful High and Low is available on Max and the Criterion channel at the time of this recording. Wow, Talking Studios. You know what would have been really good? If the kid was like, how about them apples? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got, we got, got props now, nice. <laughs> I just love the idea about, about them apples. I didn't think of that at all. That's, that would be an excellent addition. <laughs> yeah, that's his whole thing. I saw an apple tree. <laughs> no, you didn't. I'm a <laughs> <laughs>